Well, good morning. Happy Easter. On behalf of Crossroads, let me just welcome you. And uh, my name is Phil Heller, the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And so awesome to worship uh, with you today. If you're our guest today, welcome to you. I hope that you have felt welcome. Also hope that you've been able to engage in the celebration of what really is the central part of our faith as Christ followers. And just on a personal note, I don't know that I've ever needed uh, to be reminded of the message of Easter, that we have hope beyond this life and beyond the grave that we have eternity to look forward to in heaven. And um, man, that does my heart really good just to sing that as loud as I could this morning. I hope for you as well. Um, several years ago, I got the opportunity to go on a trip to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It was actually part of a leadership development experience I had. And um, I'll be honest, I'm not much of a history buff. So I kind of went into this whole weekend a little bit reluctant. I would have much rather settled just for a nice meal at a great restaurant or go to an amusement park for a day or maybe just catch a, a, a baseball game at a major league baseball stadium. And I, I'm really not even a big baseball nut. But nevertheless, we found ourselves at the actual literal site of one of the most pivotal battles of the Civil War there at Gettysburg. And the facilitator of the experience gave us some prep work. He gave us a synopsis of everything that happened in the Civil War prior to Gettysburg, what happened at Gettysburg, and then how that changed the course of not only just the war, but actually the course of our country. And he also asked that we would take one person, they, he assigned these people to us, that we would research this individual who was a, a real life person who was actually there at the Civil War, at the Battle of Gettysburg, to, to be prepared to give like a five to seven minute presentation when we got to the part uh, in the tour where that was significant for that individual. So I did my homework. I learned a lot of things I didn't know about the Civil War. The, the Gettysburg was a pivotal battle in all of the Civil War. And in fact, you might know this, but General Lee, the person in, in charge of the Confederate Army, made a direct line toward the North on purpose. He went there because he knew that the population center of our country at the time was in the North. And he also knew there was an abundant amount of resources in the Northern part of the territory and his army needed supplies. It was very strategic on the part of General Lee. Also, the, what his point was is that if he could make a charge on Washington, D.C., make it all the way to the Potomac, then he knew that he could win the war. So what stood in front of him or between him and that happening was the Union Army and their general, George Meade. He was not uh, the most popular or even the most successful general, but his job was to stop Lee from making this uh, offensive a move and also to cause him serious losses. The, um, what happened is just that. Uh, general Lee was known as a great calculated general. He was a great um, tactician. And he made some very significant errors in that. Some of them were accidental. In fact, the Battle of Gettysburg was never really supposed to happen. One of the officers of General Lee was instructed not to make any type of advance, but he started a, a firefight with the Union Cavalry, and that went into a full-scale conflict between the two opposing forces. The Confederacy suffered significant losses. In fact, General Meade allowed Lee to take his troops back to Virginia and kind of retreat, and that extended the Civil War actually for two more years. And significant losses on both sides of the equation. And what you know actually happened was the Union side 
completely uh, announced victory. I completed my assignments. And I also did the research on the individual that was uh, given to me. And I'll remember the moment, probably for the rest of my life, as we walked that literal place, the site where the Battle of Gettysburg actually happened, history kind of came alive for me. I think it was hearing almost in firsthand real life people who had been there, who had been in those moments, who had had real losses, real hopes, real fears, real sense of emotion in that moment. Those people became real to me and it made history so much different. I met people like John F. Reynolds. He was one of the union's best general officers. He was responsible for actually making the preparations for the battle of Gettysburg, but he actually died on the very first day of battle. That taught me a very important leadership lesson, that succession planning is really important. You can't plan for your uh, departure after you've departed, right? I also met a person named A.P. Hill. A.P. Hill was the Confederate general who, who didn't obey General Lee's orders. And he's the one who was actually responsible for starting the whole thing. And it taught me a very powerful leadership lesson that clear communication is essential, right? And then I got to, to familiar with Robert E. Lee a little bit more. Brilliant tactician. But he was seen as a failure at Gettysburg. And the reason why is he actually went against what was his normal proven ways of doing battle. The facilitator of this experience is actually a Christ follower. And he mentioned that it was almost as if there was divine intervention that happened at Gettysburg. Can you imagine what our world would be like if the outcome would have been different? Now, I know you didn't come to church on Easter Sunday to get a U.S. history lesson, right? Maybe you don't like history like me and you're like, all right, move along with it. Well, I wanted to use my experience in Gettysburg. We're encountering real life people who are actually there in that moment. And the facts that are all about Gettysburg, I wanted to use that as an illustration to help a real life event that is fact, that it was First-hand experience by real-life people. I want that moment to come alive for all of us in this room. And the moment I'm referring to is the resurrection of Jesus. Just as we take the events that happened at the Civil War and many other events in history as fact, and, and we recognize their impact on the lives and citizens of, of this great country, we too should take the events that happened with the death, the life, and resurrection of Jesus as fact. And we should also see how they impact our lives today. We have reliable history records of the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can find these accounts concluded in what we call the Bible. In fact, they're in the second half of the Bible, and there are books written by people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are either firsthand people who experienced Jesus, or they did investigation to be able to explain to us what happened and to share those facts with us. You can see the impact of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus on those people then, and you can also see how it impacts your life even today. Now, even though we can't time travel back to the Holy Land altogether and experience that together today, I thought I would introduce to you some of the people who were real life people that encountered the resurrected Jesus. All four gospels record a unique perspective as well as include experiences about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And all mention that the first people to learn about Jesus rising from the dead that first Easter were a group of women who were Jesus's followers. They had watched him be crucified on Friday night. 
They had gone with the men who took Jesus' body down from the cross and laid him into a tomb that belonged to a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. That tomb was not really that far away from the place where Jesus was crucified. And among this group of women was a lady named Mary Magdalene. The only other reference to Mary Magdalene by name in scripture, other than in these resurrection accounts, is found in Luke chapter eight, where she's listed as among a group of women who were followers of Jesus, and also someone who had been cured of evil spirits. In fact, it says that she had seven demons removed from her. That's another sermon for another Sunday. You'll have to come back and hear all about that. I would love to tell you more about what all that means. But, Jesus, uh, but Mary Magdalene was a devout follower of Jesus, and she was distraught at his death. As the women traveled to the tomb that day, they had a conversation with each other. They had been there on Friday when a big rock had been placed over the mouth of the tomb. And they were asking each other, how in the world are we going to move that big rock? They were shocked when they got to the tomb that Sunday morning to see that the the rock was already gone. And they were even more taken back when they met some men who were angels. I love what they said to the angels. Tell us what you've done with the body of Jesus. Tell us where you've taken him so we can go and get him and bring him back and bury him. They had spices and they were going to complete the burial process because none of them ever expected Jesus to live again. Well, the angels said to the women that day, they said, he's not here, he has risen. Actually, the first thing they said is, do not be afraid. I think that's hilarious. Every time I read scripture and there's an appearance of an angel, the first thing the angel usually says is, hey, don't be afraid. If you and I saw an angel today, I think something would happen. We would be fearful, right? Also, we kind of think of angels as like these people dressed in white with angels, maybe a halo, kind of flittering around all around a a moment, right? But these angels appeared human-like. They were like men. The angels give these women direct instructions. Go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. The angel invited them to see the place where Jesus' body had been laid. And when the women saw what had happened, They hightailed it to go tell the disciples. On the way, John records that Mary Magdalene had an encounter with someone that she thought was the gardener of the graveyard. When our youngest, Kendall, was little, we would drive by a graveyard and she'd say, oh, look, it's a beautiful grave garden. She saw all the flowers and she thought, you know, it was something that was growing there. Uh, She's later learned that, you know, it's always not the most happy place to be on earth, right? When Mary saw this man, she asked him the same question. What have you done with the body of Jesus? Tell me where you've taken him so I can go and get him and bring him back and bury him. She didn't recognize who she was talking with by his looks, but then he responded by calling her by name, Mary. When she heard that voice, she knew exactly who it was. She said, teacher, it's a very affectionate term. She knelt at his feet. She clung to his feet and she worshiped him. Jesus said to Mary, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. And when she got to them, she said, I have seen the Lord. She had experienced God's presence and his power in her life. Have you? Have you experienced God's presence and power in your life? When Mary and the women told the disciples about all they had seen and experienced, the disciples didn't believe them. Unfortunately, in the ancient world, 
women weren't recognized as reliable witnesses. So the men thought that they had to see everything for themselves. Many critics are kind of confounded why, if this was such a great message that Jesus has resurrected from the grave, why wouldn't that message have been first entrusted to more reliable witnesses? I think that Jesus had nothing to prove. He was very comfortable letting women be the first to proclaim the message. It tells us a lot about how Jesus feels about women, but it also tells us that he had nothing to concoct. He didn't have to make up a story because it was all very true. Peter and John were two of the disciples and they took off and they ran to the tomb. When they got there, John stood at the opening, but Peter, he just rushed in and went straight into the tomb. And they both noticed that the body was not there, that the linen burial cloths that had wrapped Jesus' body were folded and neatly placed where his body had been laid. John, in his firsthand account of his own experience, noted that when he saw that, he immediately believed. The other gospel writers say that Peter was just a little bit perplexed and he kind of wandered around wondering what had happened. I wonder if the contrast between these two guys' reaction isn't linked to the last time they both had personal contact with Jesus. Scripture records that John, John was there at the crucifixion. He stood there by Jesus' mother, Mary. In fact, from the cross, Jesus gave John a responsibility. He said, John, take care of my mom. And then he said to his mom, mom, take care of John as your son. Peter, the last time he saw Jesus was most likely when Jesus was facing an interrogation by the high priest Caiaphas. In fact, he was there kind of warming himself by the fire while Jesus was being interrogated. And while he was standing there, some people at the fire said, hey, hey, wait a minute, I recognize you. You talk like those people who follow Jesus. I bet you're one of those followers of Jesus. And three times, Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. He even cursed them. At that third denial, John records that as soon as Peter denied Jesus, there was a rooster that crowed. Jesus had earlier actually predicted that that's what would happen. He would, that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. John also records when that moment happened, Jesus and Peter's eyes met. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I wonder if their reaction has a lot to do with how they experienced Jesus last. I mean, John seems to be that person who always gets it right. I mean, he just seems to always make the right decision. While Peter is maybe somebody the rest of us can relate to, right? He's a little bit headstrong, he's impulsive. He seems to always just keep messing up time and time again. Which can you relate to the most? Everybody at the tomb that first Easter wasn't actually a follower of Jesus. There were some Roman soldiers who were there because they were assigned to guard the tomb. They experienced everything firsthand that morning. And it all started with an earthquake. The earth began to violently shake. And an angel of the Lord came down, rolled the stone away and sat upon it. The guards fell to the ground and Matthew describes them that they were like dead men. They must have been present when the women came to put spices around Jesus' body. Because as those women made their way to tell the disciples what they had seen and experienced, the soldiers made their way back to the city to tell the religious leaders what had happened. I would assume that both of their stories were identical initially. They were both 
firsthand witnesses, both the guards and the women. But the religious leaders, when they heard from the soldiers what had happened, they got a little nervous. You see, Jesus threatened everything about their life. He threatened their identity. He also threatened their posterity. And because of that, they decided they would devise a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them to say this. You know, we fell asleep during the night while we were supposed to be guarding the tomb. And some of the disciples of Jesus came and stole his body while we were asleep. Have you ever heard a story that's a little fishy? I mean, maybe as a parent, you're standing next to a broken vase and you ask your young children, how did the vase get broken? And the story they tell you just doesn't seem to add up. Have you been there? Maybe you're a supervisor at work and there's just something that is not working right on the production line or maybe the numbers aren't as high as you hoped that they would be. And when you ask those somewhat responsible for that, there just seems to be enough excuses that don't seem to make sense. Maybe you're a spouse and you are listening to the reasons your spouse is telling you uh, that those extra expenses in the checking account are there and it just doesn't seem like it holds water. Or maybe you're just a friend who is listening to another friend who has hurt you or disappointed you in someone. Give their reasons and it just doesn't seem to do much help. Well, what poked a hole in the story of the soldiers was that Jesus showed up. I mean, he made a bodily resurrection and he began to appear to people and something fell apart in their story. His body wasn't stolen. He had resurrected. Because Jesus made a true body resurrection, he appeared to first the women and to Mary Magdalene, and then he appeared to 10 of the 11 disciples and then to 500 of his followers all at one time. Skeptics will say, well, those appearances, I think they're really hallucinations. I mean, people who love Jesus really wanted to see him resurrect. And so when they saw him, it was really just a hallucination. Well, clinically, what we know about hallucinations is they happen individually. There is no literal way that 500 people can have the exact same hallucination at the very same time, not even at Woodstock. That's just not possible. What was happening in this moment was that Jesus was pulling the plug on this false narrative the soldiers had put forward by bodily appearing to those around him. Jesus showed up. So I ask you, you know, which story seems the most believable? The one that the soldiers were telling or the one that Jesus was telling? I mean, just to maybe prove my point, for the soldiers to admit that they fell asleep on duty, and then while asleep, to have him as much awareness to say that, well, some men came and they rolled the stone away and they unwrapped all the body, uh, all the wraps around Jesus' body and they folded him up neatly and put him back where he was and then took the body and ran. That seems more miraculous than the resurrection itself, doesn't it? There's one last person I'd love to look and introduce you to, someone who also was a real life person who encountered the resurrected Jesus. His name is Thomas. He gets a bad rap and mislabeled as doubting Thomas. And his faith was no less than the other disciples. He just wasn't present the first time that Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. John is the only book in the Bible that records about Thomas's 
firsthand experience with Jesus after his resurrection. I thought I'd just read it to you, and you can follow along on the screen if you want. It's John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. It's a little bit like, don't be afraid again, right? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet still believe. I love Thomas's reluctance to believe without experiencing the truth himself. He needed to know for himself if it was true. And I love even more what Jesus says to Thomas because it applies to you and to me. You see, Thomas was living when Jesus lived, while he was dead those three days, and when he came back to life. And with his very own eyes, Thomas was able to see Jesus. He had the opportunity to take his finger and put it in the hole where the nails had been. Thomas had the opportunity to put his hand in Jesus' side where the, where the spear had pierced Jesus' side. Now, Scripture doesn't say that he actually did those things. It just says that he saw Jesus and he believed. Now, I know I'm only 48 years old, but some of you might think that I was back there in Bible times when Jesus resurrected. By the look of some of you here today, I would assume that nobody was there back when Jesus actually resurrected from the grave. Jesus chose to meet with the other disciples without Thomas for your and I's benefit. Because he knew that there would be some skeptics, maybe some of you are here today, that would need to know that there was someone who actually saw with their very own eyes the wounds, the scars, the bodily resurrected Jesus and would be able to testify to what they saw. I wasn't living then. But I take at face value through faith what, that Jesus made an appearance to not just Thomas, but all of these people as proof that he is the Christ. He is the son of God. He is the risen savior. And my faith is built on that. And I believe. Are you willing to pursue the truth about Jesus for yourself? Two of the most powerful proofs of Jesus' resurrection. The first is this the eyewitness accounts of those who encountered him. And second, the life change in those who experienced him. These eyewitnesses talked with Jesus. They touched him. They ate food with him. They were reconciled to him. And that's something hardly you can do with a figment of your imagination. The 11 disciples who had spent the most time with Jesus while he was living here on our planet, they listened to him teach. They watched him perform miracles. They saw him arrested and crucified. And then after his resurrection, they spent up to 40 days with him. They all followed his instructions to tell those facts and the good news to the rest of the world. 
And they did so under persecution. In fact, 10 of those 11 men all died because of what they believed and also their commitment to sharing that message with the rest of the world. And the 11th, his name was John, and he was imprisoned and exiled until his death. Don't you think if this was all a bunch of hogwash that those 11 men would have caved at some point? One of the most famous scandals politically in our country happened in the 1970s when officials in the administration of Richard Nixon were accused of breaking into the Democratic Committee's headquarters and stealing some things, as well as wiretapping and recording lots of conversations. And all those accusations were actually led to indictments, and many people went to jail, and and Nixon actually resigned over it all. One of those people who spent time in federal prison was a guy named Charles Colson. And Charles said that he knew something about Jesus before he went to prison, but it sounds like there's a lot of time to think when you're locked up. And Chuck Colson would say that he had a personal experience, a personal encounter with Jesus that changed his life. It changed the trajectory of his life. His life was never the same from that moment. In fact, Christian Prison Fellowship was started by Chuck Colson to share who Jesus is to others who have a lot of time to think on the inside. Chuck Colson says, I believe in the resurrection. And I believe in the resurrection, he says, because there were a handful of men who, even though they were tortured, beaten, and eventually martyred for what they believe, for 40 years they stood fast and stood strong about what they were convinced of. They believed it with all their heart and they died because of it. He said, we couldn't even get 12 men in Watergate to keep the same story straight for three weeks. That was his proof. That's all he needed to know that who Jesus is, is really the truth. And what Jesus says is really the truth. And that is resurrection is really true. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, still impacted by these real events that took place. We can see the impact on many lives around us. And I hope you can even see that impact on your own. The New Testament authors make it very clear how important, how much of a big deal the resurrection actually is. In fact, Paul says in his letter to a group known as the Corinthians that the, without the resurrection, faith is futile. As we look at the evidences of the resurrection, I wonder, you might be thinking, why does it all matter? Well, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a picture of what God can and will do for all of us who place our faith in him. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is our source of hope that sin and death do not have the final world. Chuck Colson says, I believe in everything about Jesus. I'm convinced. And I stand before you today unashamed to say the exact same thing. I believe that Jesus was God's son. I believe that Jesus came to this planet in a real life human body, just like you and me, flesh and blood. And he lived here on this earth just like you and I did. There's only one thing that separates Jesus from the rest of us is that Jesus wasn't just fully human. He was also fully God. And because he was fully God, he was sinless. He was tempted in every way that I am, yet he never sinned. And because of that, I believe with all my heart that he offered himself as a sacrifice for me, 
for the sins that I have committed and even the sins I will commit. He climbed up on a tree because he was falsely accused of things he did, but stood guilty for me of all the things I did. Because he died on the cross, my punishment for sin is gone. And so is yours. But that's not the end of the story. He took that flesh and all those sins and he was buried in a grave. And the only thing that came out was Jesus. Three days later, he resurrected. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe the eyewitness testimony. And because of that, I have chosen to not just place my worship, but my followership on solely one person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And because of that, I am confident that when I take my last breath, I will awaken in his presence. And I'll spend eternity with him, the one who not only died for me, but came to life for me. And that's something I'll declare to anybody and everybody. I want to know about you, though. I want to know about you. I I wanted you to hear from those people who were there that very day. I wanted you to hear their testimony so that you would believe. It makes me really crazy to think that none of us in this room would say, yeah, civil war, I don't know if it happened. I mean, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, do we really know that there were people who were in Gettysburg that day shooting guns at each other? I mean, and if they were there, what difference does it really make? None of us would make that kind of claim. And yet we'll dismiss the very same real life people with firsthand experience to tell us fact. And we'll dismiss it like, meh, who cares? No big deal. Really not worthy of me putting my life at risk over. My prayer is that you would wake up, sleeper. You would realize that you could chase lots of things in your life, but you will find nothing more significant or fulfilling than basing your life on this one we celebrate today, whose name is Jesus Christ. I wonder if you're like Mary. Maybe you're here today and you need healing that only Jesus can bring. Maybe you're here and you want to experience the presence of Jesus as well as his power in your life. He's waiting for you. Maybe you find yourself a little like Peter. You are well aware of the things that you have done that he would be disappointed in. That you feel the guilt on your shoulders even sitting here right now in this sacred assembly because you know the choices you made. He's willing to forgive you just like he did Peter. There's a really cool picture of that in the end of John. Maybe you're here today like John. You feel like you've been given a very deliberate assignment from Jesus himself. And you're kind of wondering, do you have what it takes to pull that off? Well, you probably don't. That's why he's given you the Holy Spirit to fulfill those responsibilities. The responsibility he's given all of us to take this message and tell everybody around us. Maybe you're like the soldiers. You're just like, man, I've heard a lot about Jesus. And I, there's some things I can, I, can, I can admit that that sounds pretty good. And there's other things that just I'm not sure about. Are you willing to pursue the truth? Are you willing to be like Thomas that says, I, I won't believe until I know myself? Are you willing to put in the effort, the energy? Are you willing to explore that even out of curiosity to see if Jesus is really truly who he says he is? For all those reasons... And for any of those, I would, I would love to take the time to introduce you to who Jesus truly is. 
And following this gathering, I'd be happy to meet with you right down here in front. Angela, one of our elders, we would spend as much time as we can with you just to be able to share what we believe about Jesus and to answer questions you might have. Maybe that feels a little too uh, threatening to you. Here's an invitation. Next week, we're going to begin a six-week teaching series entitled The Jesus I Never Knew. And it's in created with a couple people in mind. First, there's a person who's sitting here right now who's grown up in church all your life and you know a lot about Jesus. The only problem is you've maybe created Jesus into who you want him to be instead of who he actually truly is. And I'd encourage you to come back next week and, and explore with us actually who Jesus truly is and make an informed decision. Is he worth, worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of your followership? Is he worthy for you to stake your entire life, how you live and how you love based on him alone? Also, there might be you who are here today that are just skeptical. You're not sure. You've heard a lot about Jesus or maybe you've heard nothing. And even today you're kind of wondering like, is this too good to be true? I'd make an open invitation to you to join us and just to explore the facts and make an informed decision for yourself. Is Jesus who he really says he is? Is all of this really worth it? I don't have to make you the guarantee. I think he's already made the guarantee. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I came to bring life, life to the fullest. Those are his promises, not mine. I just have the privilege of, of saying them to you on his behalf. Maybe if nothing else today, uh, maybe what I would encourage you is to pick up a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. It's available out in our atrium. If you're our guest today, we have a free copy for you and we'd love for you to read it. Uh, you could download the digital version by that QR code. And if you're a member of our Crossroads family, I'd encourage you to pick up a book. I just ask you to make a donation of $10 to cover the expenses. They're all available right out in the atrium. And if nothing else, you just make a decision that you're going to explore who Jesus is. And if we can be helpful as a church family, we would love to walk alongside as he reveals himself to you. I'd encourage you right now to join me in prayer. So would you stand with me? Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful for the day we celebrate right now because I firmly believe with all my heart in Jesus. I believe that because of him, our world has never been the same and nor will it ever be. I believe with face value that the people that Jesus revealed himself to in the New Testament were real life people. And the message that they proclaimed to me and everyone else is exactly true. We can take it by faith, but we can take it by as fact that Jesus is no longer dead. He has come back to life. He reigns in heaven and he is offering us the power to be transformed, something we cannot do on our own. And because you are God and you lived in him and you have offered us the Holy Spirit, this day could be the best day of the rest of our life by letting the transforming work of Jesus Christ come into our heart and to change who we are from the inside out. That our life and our eternity would never be the same. And that's a message, God, that is worth celebrating and worshiping you for. And I pray that we would see with eyes like you see, that we would see what you see, and we would be transformed by the fact that because Jesus is risen, we are risen too. And we sing that with all of our might right here and right now. Let's worship together.